And so in your notes this morning, uh, I want to just share a few things introductory as we, as we get started. Uh, and let me, let me just pray for us, if you don't mind. Let me pray first, and then we'll, we'll share those comments. Father, thank you again for the morning. I do pray, God, this morning as, as you allow us to meet and gather in this place, Father, you'd bless us. Lord, we need you. Uh, God, there are families in our church that are hurting. Uh, they need you. Lord, we want to lift them up and, and be an encouragement to them. We ask that your grace be sufficient. Uh, in the lives of our church family. Thank you for the guests that are here. Lord, thank you for the newer members. Thank you for those beginning discipleship and those that are getting close to finishing discipleship. We just are a blessed church. Thank you for the missionaries that are being ordained tonight. And uh, Lord, the partnership that we have to, to get the gospel to the world. And uh, you're just a good God. Like Colin said earlier, uh, you are our strength. And uh, it's every day, every hour we need you, Lord. And uh, help us to have that type of dependent, dependency on you uh, that even the breath in our lungs comes from you, and, and we, we really need you, God, we, we need you. And so, Lord, I pray that you take this book, and as we study, may your Holy Spirit be the teacher and help us to, to be good students and good stewards of your word, studying and comparing Scripture with Scripture as you've taught us. We love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here's a couple of reasons I think this is an important series for our church and for you as a Christian. The first reason is because all Christians need all of the Word of God, not just select portions. And I don't know about you, but it's, there's, a, there's a tendency in Christianity for us to pick and choose many times what we want to read in the Bible, especially when we get to some of those books that maybe are a little bit harder, or maybe they have a bunch of history, and we're kind of like, man, ugh, this is kind of boring. Let me skip to this other part. Or has anybody in here read the book of Leviticus more than once? Okay, yeah, <laughs> right? You read through that, and you're like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, listen, a Christian needs all of God's Word, not just select portions, and I would even go as far to say, even from the pulpit, we are tasked as pastors to teach the whole counsel of God's Word. In Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 27, Paul goes on record to say in verse 27, he says, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And so we have a responsibility to teach all of God's Word because all of God's Word is profitable for us, including books that we sometimes deem difficult or hard. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so as a Christian, the book of Revelation is as profitable to you as the book of Leviticus, as the book of 1 Chronicles, as the book of Daniel, and as the book of Romans. It's profitable for you for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness so that you as the man of God and woman of God may be perfect, in other words, complete, mature, truly furnished unto all good works. Every Christian needs all of the Bible, and, and we, we can't cherry pick necessarily the parts of the Bible that we really like. God says we need all of it. Number two, a proper understanding of the Bible should give us comfort. And, and listen, as we get into this book, there will be some uncomfortable things that we will talk about that are going to happen on this earth. And there are going to be some uncomfortable things that happen to people on this planet and to this planet. It's going to be very uncomfortable. But let me remind you that God, through his scripture, can give us comfort in the midst of persecution, opposition, tribulation. Romans 15 and verse 4, Paul writes and he says, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort, listen, of the scriptures might have hope. You see, the, the scriptures for the Christian 
are the things that give us hope. It is the thing. Listen, if you have a Bible, you have a reason to have hope. And listen, if you watch Fox News and CNN and every other news media outlet in these days, there is certainly no hope coming from those sources of information. But the child of God has access to the very thing that in the midst of difficulty and and trial and tribulation, God can give us comfort, but he does it in a very specific way. It's through the scriptures. And when you know the word of God, the words of God give you hope, give you peace, give you assurance. You see, if your hope is in a vaccine, well, you're going to find out that that's not a very solid hope. And if your hope is in a government or a republic or a democracy, well, your hope is not going to get you very far. If your hope is in your finances, you're going to find that those will flee away too. If your hope is in your relationships, one day that relationship might end. But listen, what we're, what we're finding the past few years is that none of those things are a guarantee. But what is a guarantee is God's word. What is a guarantee is the eternal word of God. And when we understand it and believe it, we can have peace in the midst of our storms. Number three, a proper understanding of prophecy is going to help us become holy. A proper understanding of prophecy will help us to become more holy. And if you look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, the Bible says, Beloved, John writes and he says, now, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, your salvation made you a son of God, but there's something even more glorious coming your way as a child of God. But we know that when he shall appear, when Christ shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him, listen, as he is. We're going to see Christ as he is. Our faith will become sight. And everything that we read in the Word of God about Christ will become very visible to us when He returns and we see Him as He is. Listen to verse 3. And every man that has this hope in himself purifieth himself, even as he, as Christ, is pure. And here's what I want you to understand. In the book of Revelation, we are going to see Jesus Christ as He is. We're going to see Christ unveiled. He is the main character. He is the main focus. He is the main theme. He has the preeminence in the book of Revelation. By the way, he has the preeminence in all of Scripture. But when we see Christ in the book of Revelation, what we're not going to see is a babe in a manger. But what we're going to see is God Almighty. We're not going to see a servant of servants, but we're going to see a king ruling with a rod of iron. We're not going to see a man who suffers at the hands of his creation, but we're going to see God himself righteously judging all created things. You see, we're not going to see in the book of Revelation the God-man who, born, who was born and then died. But what we're going to see in Revelation is the God-man who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We're not going to see a bloody Savior who was crucified for our sin, but we're going to see a conquering king whose vesture is dipped in blood, stained from the defeat of his enemies. And when we see Christ as he is, well, it'll drive us to holiness. You see, that's a Jesus that makes us really uncomfortable. Hello? You see, at his first coming, we didn't really see him as he is. 
The apostles didn't see him as he was. John, the revelator, did not see him as he was, except for maybe arguably the Mount of Transfiguration. But in the book of Revelation, Christ is revealed. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The veil is lifted. He's not wrapped in his humanity and in his flesh. He's wrapped in his glory and dominion and power. And who he is is on full display for all that read this book to understand. And it ought to have an effect on your life. It ought to change your life. Because when you see Christ as he is, well, you have a little more motivation to purify yourself. That's probably why that's not a popular book on Sunday morning in most churches. Because we're really comfortable with the Jesus that we've manifest in our mind, the, the suffering servant, the babe in the manger, the, the, the crucified Lamb of God for our sin, and all of those are true. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. And so as it relates to the book of Revelation, listen, there's no shortage of interest. There's no shortage of intrigue about this book. There's plenty of scoffing and mocking. Christians, I believe, many times are fearful to read it. They're ignorant of what it means. They ascribe symbolism and allegorical method to interpret the Bible. The lost are also enamored with it. They consider it apocalyptic literature, by the way, a phrase that's not found in the Bible anywhere. And without a biblical understanding and a biblical hermeneutic of how to study the Bible, one will wrestle with this book just as they will any other book of the Bible and rip passages out of context and potentially to their own destruction. By the end of the book of Revelation, Christ gets what he deserves. All glory, all honor, all power, all dominion. And that, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Sometimes even Christians. Can I just tell you by the end of the book, the devil is going to get what he deserves. A lake of fire. At the end of that book, the saved are going to get what they deserve. The potential to rule and reign with Christ for a millennial reign, a thousand year reign on this earth, and, and, and to be ushered into eternity as a part of his eternal kingdom. And at the end of that book, the lost are going to get what they deserve. Who chose to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ and disobey the gospel of what Christ did for their sin. You see, there is a finality and assurance that Jesus Christ will rule and reign in his kingdom for all of eternity, receiving all the honor and all the glory and all the power and all the dominion and all the praise and honor and worship that is due his name. And so with that introduction out of the way, let us begin. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. We're going to, by the grace of God, get through three verses today. Those of you that are part of our church know that's par for the course. And for the newer people here today, uh, we like to take our time, so bear with us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. But the time is at hand. 
The first thing we'll look at this morning is the revelation. We're going to talk about what this, this revelation is. What, is. what does the word revelation mean? It's an unveiling. It's a revealing. And, and this revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you're in your Bible, if you would just look at the title of the book in your Bible, if you have a Bible this morning, I would have you take note that the, the, the title of the book is actually the revelation of St. John the Divine. But then in verse 1, the Bible tells us that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And any skeptic of the Bible or any skeptic of the Scriptures would say, well, see there, you've already got a problem in your Bible. Which, whose revelation is it? And so in your notes, the, the first point is this. There's a problem with the revelation or the potential problem with the revelation because whose revelation is it? Is it John's revelation or is it Christ's revelation? And critics, again, instantly go into attack mode and say, you can't even trust your Bible because it doesn't know what it's talking about. The key to understanding the, the discrepancy is the, the preposition of. Of. Is it the revelation of John or revel, the revelation of Jesus Christ? And that word of in, in the English language and that preposition can sometimes point to the subject of a sentence and sometimes it can point to the object of a sentence. And ex- let me give you an example. Mark Trotter used to use this example all the time. If we were going to talk about the love of God, well, well, some of you would hear that and you would say, well, what we're talking about is God's love toward us. Uh, we, w- we would say that, man, we're, if we're talking about the love of God this morning, then we're talking about God's love for us. But some of you would hear that. And and if you hear the phrase, the love of God, we might be talking about our love toward God. Does that make sense? It it just depends on the context of the passage or or the statement. In that scenario, it could be either God's love toward us, or it could be our love toward God, and the same phrase would indicate both. And so this just clearly is the revelation given to John But the revelation is about the person of Jesus Christ. So there is no discrepancy. And then the second thing I want you to see this morning is the process of the revelation. How did God give this revelation? I want you to go back to verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by the angel unto his servant, John. And so in your notes, you have, you have kind of a map, a road map of how God gave us this revelation. It, it started with God, and he gave it to Jesus Christ, and then Christ gave it to his angel, and then his angel gave it to John. And then John was instructed to send that revelation to his servants. And the fact is that right now you're reading it in black and white and in English which means that, that God transmitted it all the way even to you today. You see, you see John heard the voice of God. We, we see this in Revelation 1, verse 10. This isn't on the screen, but just listen. He hears the audible voice of God. We're, we're going to see later as we get into the passage that he sees some things. So he, his, his, he's hearing God's word, but he's also seeing exactly what God wants him to see. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1, and verse 10, that he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, so he's moved by the Spirit of God. Revelation 1, verse 11, he's instructed to write these words in a book. 
And then in that same verse, verse 11, he's, he's instructed to send that letter to seven churches which are in Asia. God always has a process of getting his word to, to the intended audience. And, and many times in the scripture, it's like this. It starts with supernatural revelation, but it ends in supernatural preservation because that same text and this same book is right in front of us today. And we can thank God that God preserves his word because he has a process. You know, there are people that would say, well, you can't trust the Bible because man has had his hands all over it, right? Sinful man has had his hands all over it. It's interesting they never make that same comparison to Shakespeare, by the way. I mean, how do you trust Shakespeare? Man's had his hand all over that and copied that and reproduced that and rewrote that. And how does that not contain error? And yet the Bible somehow contains error. Now, listen, there are differences in the Bible translations and versions, and we go through an exhaustive study in ministry tools and training so that you can understand that. And that's not the point this morning, but the point is whatever you have in your hand, you can trust is God's word. It ought to be the authority of your life. God's given us the revelation so that we can understand him. Number three, the purpose of the revelation. And so, and so God tells us in verse one that he's going to reveal this to John to show unto his servants. Now, that's very interesting. Now, we know that as we, as we study this and get into it this, this morning and later in the next few weeks, historically speaking, this letter was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. And, and so just the historical context tells you that God considers people that are a part of churches servants. The purpose of the revelation was to make known unto God's servants his word. Okay, so, so look at Revelation 1 and verse 1. John was a servant of Jesus Christ. It tells you right there in the verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. This would be the apostle John, not John the Baptist. This would be the disciple whom Jesus loved, as we'll see in just a few minutes. But I want you to understand that John was not the only servant of Christ in the Bible. There was a man named Paul. Do you remember Paul? Formerly Saul, before he met Christ. And the Bible says of Paul in Romans 1 and verse 1, that Paul also was a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul was a saved man. He was part of local churches. God called him a servant. James is called a servant of Jesus Christ. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Greeting. James was a saved man full of the spirit of God. He was a part of the body of Christ. He was considered a servant by the word of God. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, Jude and verse 1 says that Jude is the servant of Jesus Christ. What's the point, Jay? Why, why are you going through the whole Bible to talk about all the servants? Well, because if you're saved, you're to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And, and here, get this key in your notes. Servants serve their master. Servants serve their master. And, and you got to stop and ask the question. And here's the question. I'm going I'm to let you write it down. 
Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Now, God's intention is that you be a servant of Christ. God's intention is that if you're saved, sealed, spirit-filled, you're to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Are you a servant? Well, I come to church. I don't think you get it. Well, I know I'm a Christian. I don't think you get it. You see, servants serve their master. And in most churches, in most places on this planet, there are people that say, man, I know I'm born again. I know I'm saved. And yet they've never committed their, their son. The sad thing is they've never submitted themselves to be a servant. The book of Revelation is written to Christ's servants, not just saved people. And the truth is that there are going to be saved people in this church that tag along the next few months and even years as we go through this that aren't going to get it. And the reason they're not going to get it is because they're not saved. The reason they're not going to get it is because they don't have a master who they really serve. You can fill out every blank you ever want to fill out for the next year. But this book is reserved for Christ's servants. And if you're not a servant, I would ask you why. Did Christ not save you from your sin? Did Christ not bleed out and die on a cross for your sin? Did Christ not purchase you with his shed blood for your sin? And you would say, yeah, he did all that. Well, he bought you. You're a purchased possession. Quit living your life for you. Serve the master. You see, the purpose of this book is to, to deliver it to Christ's servants so that they know some things, which is the next point, the prophecy of the revelation. You see, the point of this book is prophecy for the most part. There is history, but there's also prophecy. You see, God's word tells us in verse 1, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So these are some things that must come to pass. And I want you to understand that what makes the Bible unique is that first and foremost, God's book is a, certainly a book of, of history, but it's a book of prophecy. In other words, it's going to tell you what is going to happen before it happens. There's no other book that can do that. You can forget the Da Vinci Code and all the other stuff. Listen, there's no other book like this book. Because God is the God of history, it is His story. And God has given us, in the entire Bible, a book of prophecy. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, we also have, have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, God is going to reveal what's going to happen before it happens. And when I said earlier, that should give us comfort because, hey, when we see the world unraveling, we can just go back to the Bible and say, you know what? God said that. Why, why are we surprised? Now, the reason that we're surprised many times as Christians is because we don't know that book. And we come unraveled. But when we go back and we study the Bible and say, well, look, God kind of said that was going to happen. Why are we shocked? Actually, why, why don't we continue to serve the master while this is happening? Look at Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there's none like me. Listen to verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are, are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. You see, our God is a God of prophecy. 
That's what makes this book unique. That's what makes the God of this book unique. He can declare the end from the beginning. Muhammad couldn't do that. And no other religious book on this planet can do that. And if they have an inkling of prophecy in it, it stole it from the Bible. Because only our God is the God of prophecy. And so God says these things must come to pass. There's, there's prophecy that we are going to see in this book in order to drive us to holiness. And then it says also about the prophecy that these things must shortly come to pass. Now, now listen, there's, there's no arguing this point that the book of Revelation was written between 90 to 96 A.D. by the apostle John. He's exiled to the island of Patmos, Revelation 1 and verse 9. And as he's writing these things, he says in the book, and Christ himself says, that these things are shortly going to come to pass. Well, any, any student of history would say, well, that, your God's a liar. <laughs> I mean, that's almost 2,000 years ago. Why hasn't it happened yet, right? And, and again, people scoff and say, well, where's the promise of his coming and, and all those different things. We saw a similar verse in Romans 16 when we, when we went through our, our Roman study Verse 20, Paul writes and he says, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. And, and when's he going to do that? Shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And, and so Paul, again, wrote that during the first century. The event that he's describing is the bruising of Satan's feet under the church's feet. He said that's going to happen shortly, but it hadn't happened yet. So, so did God miss it? I mean, did God forget to set the alarm? Where's God been the last 2,000 years? I mean, listen, if you tell your wife, I'll be home shortly, and you show up a few years later, <laughs> I, I don't know, man, you're probably going to be calling for some marriage counseling if you're even still married at that point. I'm just saying, you know, this is where the phone number should flash on the screen. Okay, <laughs> let me schedule that real quick. That's, that's usually what happens at my house. Like, I'm going to work on cars, you know, work on some Toyotas or something, and I'm like, I'll be back shortly. And Allie, that, Allie can translate that. Allie has, Allie has the gift of translation and interpretation. What that means is, I'm going to bed. <laughs> For her, she's like, I'm going to bed. Forget it, man. Ain't that right? She's got it. That's right. Yeah. So, so what happened? How, why has it not happened yet? What is, is God off on his calendar? And again, Revelation 22, even at the end of the book, God says it again that these things are going to shortly be done. Well, you need to understand that, that God looks at time the way uh, different than you and I look at time. I know right now you're like hitting the clock thinking, man, get out of here. Let's get some lunch. Okay, so you're already getting impatient. Hey, we'll be done shortly. <laughs> Just using the Bible. Just using the Bible. God looks at time a little bit different than we do. And one key verse that you want to get uh, kind of under your belt, if you will, is 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. And th this will help you put your Bible together because here's how God looks at time. Peter writes and he says, look, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. And anytime the Bible tells you not to be ignorant of something, there, there's a potential for us to be ignorant. Does that make sense? You know, if your mom and dad says, hey, just don't be ignorant of this thing, that means uh, you're probably going to be ignorant. So I'm telling you, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of this one thing that one day with the Lord is as, how long? A thousand years. And a thousand years are as one day. And, and so again, man, listen, almost 2,000 years have passed since Paul wrote in Romans that, that 
we're going to bruise Satan's head under our feet shortly. And, and, and John wrote the book of Revelation, and, and these things are going to come to pass shortly. Well, listen, on God's calendar, yeah, it's been 2,000 years, but can I just tell you, it's only been about two days. It's only been about two days. It's only been about 2,000 years. So don't get impatient. And don't let the scoffer take away your Bible or your faith. God counts time different than you count it. Be thankful that he's always right on time. He's always right on time. And so we've seen the revelation, and we've seen some key points concerning the revelation. Point number two in your notes, let's look at the record. And now we're going to see that John himself is the one bearing record. Look at verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of, the, of all the things that he saw. And again, I mentioned earlier, you know, John had a very specific relationship, a unique relationship with Jesus Christ. In John 13 and verse 23, John is, is, is the disciple that's leaning on Jesus's bosom at the supper. He was one of his disciples, the Bible says of John, whom Jesus loved. Now listen, Jesus loved all of his disciples, and he loves you. But I want you to understand that John is a unique person in the scriptures. John 19 and verse 26, uh, at the crucifixion, Jesus is on the cross, and he sees his mother, and he sees the disciple standing by his mother, whom he loved. And he said unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. In other words, because he's dying, he gave uh, responsibility of his mother to John, to the apostle John. He loved that disciple. John 20 and verse 2, it calls John the other disciple whom Jesus loved. John 21 and verse 27, or verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved. John 21 and verse 20, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So this guy, John, man, had a special relationship with Jesus Christ. And he is a guy that had firsthand account and witness and testimony of many things in Christ's life. Even in John 19 at the crucifixion, when, when John is, is writing about the crucifixion and seeing that Christ was dead, they, they didn't break his legs to fulfill prophecy. The Bible says in verse 30, 34 that one of the soldiers with a spear pierced Christ's side and forthwith came out blood and water. And he that saw it, that would have been John, bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. And I just want to make the point, John ain't no liar. Man, he's an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness of the crucifixion. And he reported what he saw, and he reported what he saw so that you would believe in Christ. And in, in the book of Revelation, it's this same John who is bearing record, who's bearing record of this revelation of Christ. And so three things that the Bible tells us he bears record of. Number one, he bears record of the Word of God. He bears record of the Word of God. Now, again, this could be the inscripturated scriptures, but Jesus Christ is also called the Word of God in John chapter 1. Do you guys remember that? In the beginning, beginning was the... Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so Christ himself is the incarnate Word of God. And so John is just saying, I'm bearing record of the Word of God. Not just the individual words that I'm writing, but that would have been a true statement too. But he's bearing record of Christ 
as the incarnate Word of God. Number two, he, he bears record of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And again, if you skip down in verse, to verse 9, Revelation 1 and verse 9, John tells us the reason that he is exiled on the Isle of Patmos is for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You've got to ask the question, what, what does that mean? Is he there because he believed God's Word and he had a testimony of knowing Jesus Christ? Maybe. Is, it, is he saying that God put him there to receive more revelation and to receive the testimony of Jesus Christ? Maybe. I don't know. It is interesting that both apply in that situation. I do know this. In Revelation 19 and verse, verse 10, the Bible tells us what the testimony of Jesus Christ is. And this is very interesting. Look at verse 10. Is it on the screen? Yes. Revelation 19 and verse 10 says, I fell at his feet to worship him. This is, this is an angel that John has fallen at his feet. And he, this angel, said to me, see thou do it not. Okay, so, so nobody accepts worship other than Christ. No man should ever accept worship. No angel should ever accept worship. Worship is reserved for Christ alone, right? So this angel said, hey, get up, bro. Don't do what you're doing. He says, I'm thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship who? Worship God. You don't need to bow to a man. You need to worship God. Then he says, for the testimony of Jesus, listen, key word, is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And remember, I told you earlier, this book is a unique book. And this book of Revelation is a unique book in your Bible because, again, it carries with it prophecy concerning the things that must shortly come to pass. That is the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. And then number three, John bear record, not only of the word of God and the testimony of Christ, but number three, he bore record of all the things that he saw. And so please understand, as we go through the book of Revelation, this is not some kind of vision or trance that John is experiencing. This is first person eyewitness account. In other words, God is going to supernaturally and spiritually move him to a point in history. We're not getting to that this morning, but God is going to move him into a point of history. And John is going to look behind him and he is going to see things that have really happened from his perspective. And then he's going to see things that are happening during right where he is in history. And then he's going to see future things that are come to come to pass. And these are not visions and they're not trances. These are legitimate, real, first-person, eyewitness account of what God is showing him. And so just understand that John is, is seeing things as they are. And then the third point this morning is the reward. And, and, I'm, and I'm, this is the part I really wanted to get to this morning. How you doing so far? Everybody good? Verse 3 is probably one of the most powerful verses in this book. Because the Bible says in verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And so I want you to understand that the book of Revelation has a blessing connected with it. 
There's a, a blessing of God Almighty that is, that is guaranteed with this book. Because listen, this book is not something that you as a Christian should be scared of. It's not something that you as a Christian should avoid. And it's not something that you as a Christian can't know or understand. As a matter of fact, God wants you to know it. He wants you to understand it. And he wants you to keep it faithfully. And there's a blessing associated with that. And isn't that kind of against the stigma that generally is associated with this book? Can't read it, can't understand it. Shit, boy, it scares me to death when I read that thing. I don't, I don't want to read it. People, I, I don't want to read that. You may not come back after this morning, and that's okay. Listen, whatever. But I'm telling you, I would want to come back because there's a blessing connected with this book. Number one, blessed is he that readeth. Blessed is he that readeth. And I want you to pay attention to the pronoun. It says, blessed is he that readeth. So that's a singular personal pronoun. Again, historically, what would have happened is that as God gave this revelation to John, and John wrote these things down, and John sent these letters to these churches, someone would have stood up in that church and read the letter of prophecy, the book of Revelation. Very similar to what happened in Luke chapter 4. And many of you will remember this story. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and on the Sabbath day and stood up for to, to read. And, and so because in the Jewish culture, in the synagogue, it was very common for the Jewish people to gather together and someone would, would stand up and read a portion of Scripture. And, and what would have happened concerning historically is that John would have pinned this out God God and John would have sent this to its intended audience and when those churches received it someone would have stood up and read the words of that prophecy in a church much like this and God says you know what blessed is he that readeth blessed is he that readeth these words it's not unlike what we do every Sunday morning we open the Bible we read it selfishly. I claim that promise for me because I'm the guy reading the scripture. Can I just tell you, you can have that blessing too if you read the scripture. You see, this book of Revelation, just like all of God's word, is intended to be read. There's a blessing associated with it. Look at 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. The Bible says, Paul writes to Timothy. This is, this is his son in the faith, a pastor at the church of Ephesus. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Give atten attendance. What he doesn't say is give attention to reading. You don't give attention to reading. You give attendance to reading. In other words, you show up. You guys remember elementary school and they call your name and, you know, Shug, are you here? Uh, you know, and everybody makes fun of your name. Jace the Chug, are you? Okay, that's not how you say it, whatever. Present. <laughs> it means you're in attendance, that you've shown up, that you're there. And listen, God tells us in his word that we need to give attendance to reading I know I'm talking to a bunch of Laodicean Christians. I know that. But if you want to be blessed, you'll get in that book. You've got to give attendance to it. 
How's your, how's your attendance been this week in the Word of God? Do you have perfect attendance? You know, in school, if you don't show up, they, they kind of don't like that. And it gets a point where if your kid is not regularly present at school, they'll, like, call the law on you. I mean, I don't know what that's called. My wife knows. There's, there's a legal term for it. Truancy. That's a nice word. Your kid ain't at school. They're not in attendance. What are you doing as a parent to cause this kid not to be in school? And it, it gets elevated to the nth degree, so much so that the law itself gets involved. I wonder how many Christians are truant in their Bible reading. And I wonder if maybe God didn't just given a subtle reminder this morning that the reason my life's not blessed because I'm not in that book. I didn't say you didn't come to church. I didn't say you didn't tithe. I didn't say you didn't serve in nursery or serve in toddlers. I didn't say you didn't run the soundboard. But I'm telling you, there's a blessing connected with being in that book. He that readeth is blessed. Paul charged the Thessalonians. He, he said, listen, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Man, are you blessed because you read the, God, the word of God? Or here's the other question, are you cursed because you don't? And if you don't read, why not? Well, I struggle with reading. Can I just tell you that as a guy that did not grow up reading the Bible and not loving English or language or history or any of those things, man, I, I, I can relate to what you're saying. I don't like reading. I struggle with reading. I get it, man. Throw math at me or science, we got it. You give me a book to read, and I'm like, forget it. Let's go do something else. But when I got saved, I committed my life to read that book because I understood that the words of God were, were revealing the very character and nature and person of God. And I wanted to know God. And there's no other way to know God except through his words. And the, the problem is that many times we substitute a false reality and a false religion for a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And we replace it with church and service, and giving, and doing, and language, church language, but we don't have a right relationship with God, and we're not blessed because we're not in the book. Twelve minutes a day, you can read the whole Bible in a year. Well, I just don't have time. You're a liar. You're just a liar. The question is not whether or not you have time. The question is what you value. The real question is what you love. That's the issue. You don't have a time problem. You have a desire problem. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking as newborn babes, this is a commandment, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. God says that you got to want it. It's a command. you got to lay some things aside and desire the best thing. And I know that even Laodicean Christians don't think they need God's word, but God says you do. Blessed are they that read. 
The second point is blessed are they that hear. And God changes the pronoun now from singular to plural. Blessed are they that hear. And and let me just tell you, just because you hear the words doesn't mean you're really hearing the words. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Gospels? He said it like eight times in the Gospels. Jesus made a statement like he made in, in Matthew 11 and verse 15. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Just because you have ears doesn't mean you're hearing. Listen, again, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hello? I mean, listen, if you've got a wife, my wife will be telling me stuff, and, and I hear the words that she's saying, but I'm not hearing what she's saying. Do you understand? You guys available for counseling any this week? Because I might need to make an appointment. Just because, just because you're hearing words doesn't mean you're hearing what somebody's saying. And can I tell you, as it relates to Christ, just because we hear his words doesn't mean we really hear what he's saying. God has given us the facilities to hear, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have the faith to hear. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, God foreshadows, prophesies in Amos 8 and verse 11. He says, the days are going to come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor of thirst, but here's the famine that I'm going to send, but of hearing the words of the Lord. You see, the famine wasn't a shortage of the words of the Lord. The famine was an actual famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And in Laodicea Christianity, I dare say we're in that famine. I I dare say if we're not careful, We'll hear God's word, but we won't really hear God's word. In other words, we'll miss the blessing that God associates with that. And then lastly, the Bible says, blessed are they that keep those things that are written. Blessed are they that keep those things that are written. Luke 11 and verse 28, the Bible says this, but he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So there's a blessing connected with reading, but then there's a blessing connected with hearing, and there's a blessing connected with keeping God's Word. In other words, God wants you to do something with what you hear. He wants you to do something with it. Look at John 14 and verse 23. Jesus answered and said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and and make our abode with him. And he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. In other words, if you love me, you're going to keep my words. If you don't love me, you're not going to keep my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Here's the key in your notes. You keep what you love. You keep what you love. And I know this is a hard message. If you really love God, you'll love his word. If you really love God, you'll want to hear his word. If you really love God, you'll keep his word. You say, well, Jay, I don't do any of those things. Well, I think think we understand what we're saying, right? If you love me, He's going to keep my words. If you don't love me, well, you won't keep my words. 
And the issue is you keep what you love. And so God may give us some insight this morning. Psalm 119 and verse 2 says this, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. Revelation 22 and verse 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. What do you do? What do you do with what you get on Sunday morning when you walk out of here? What do you do with it? Well, I stuffed those notes in my Bible, man, so I could keep them. Okay, I mean, that's cool. But do you really keep them? Like, like are you allowing God's Word to, to change your life? Do you, do you want to hear God's Word so that you know God, not just things about God, but know God personally? Do, do you really hear do you really hear God's voice? And do you keep the things that you hear? You see, God tells us right there at the last part of that verse, verse 3, the time is at hand. The time's at hand. He echoes that in Revelation 22 and verse 10. He says, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You see, there's coming a time where it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late to get saved. Too late to reject the gospel yet another time. There's coming a time where you're going to run out of time. And if you're not saved this morning, I would encourage you, listen, don't wait till it's too late. If you wait till the time at hand happens, well, the opportunity for you to get saved has already passed. But let me talk to us as saved people too. Listen, some of us need to realize that there's a pressing imminency that these things that we will discuss must soon come to pass. And then there's no more time. There's no more time to get serious about a relationship with Christ. There's no more time to read his word. There's no more time to serve him in this life. There's no more time to evangelize. There's no more time to disciple. There's no more time to send missionaries. There's no more time to plant churches. There's no time to worship together and sing together and praise together. There's no more time to pray together. Because the time is at hand. Don't miss it. And so if God is stirred in your heart today, you know what? I don't even know Christ. I need to get saved. Can I just tell you today's a good day to get saved? Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you, Consider what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. Consider that he died, he shed his blood for you and for your sin. And you can be forgiven today through the shed blood of Christ. How do you do that? You, you confess that you're a sinner. You believe in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, that was willing to die for you and was buried and rose again the third day. And you confess him as your Lord and Savior. That's how you get saved. And if you're here today and you're not saved, or if you're watching online and you're not saved, listen, let me encourage you to do that today. If you are saved, are you a servant? Do you have a master that you serve? Now, the answer to that is you already have a master that you serve. The question is, is it Christ? Do you have a blessed life because you love his word and you read his word? Do you have a blessed life because you want to hear from his word? Do you have a blessed life because you keep his word? Or the truth is, do you really have a cursed life 
that's just covered up with Christianity. Some things to think about. Let us pray together.